the root kind of thing that I want. I was reading Martian Time Slip the other night. Now that is exactly what I wanted to write. Uh, the invasion of one person's world by another person's world. I, as I was reading it, I was thinking, you know, you know, this is really strange stuff indeed. But this is definitely what I had wanted to do from the very beginning, um, the way the autistic boy's world takes over, uh, say, Arnie Cott, takes over Jack Bowen, and so on. That I, I did get into print in, say, Martian Time Slip and a number of books, um, the, this, the, the, the premise which was to me so important, and that is the, not just that we live, each of us, in a somewhat unique world of our own psychological contents, but that the subjective world of, a, of, a, of one rather powerful person can infringe on the world of another person. like a pink laser beam of truth beaming straight from San Diego, California to your brain hole. We are mandated by the UN to land our helicopters here and entertain you. Otherwise, you might just die of boredom. But the dickheads are here to talk about Martian Time Slip. Who do we have to my left? Uh, Anthony Trevino, uh, co-host of this podcast and also co-host of the Real Obscure podcast. Who just did a really great interview with Nick Cato. Really sure. enjoyed that one. So, yeah, go listen Check to that. Check it out. Uh, I'm David Agronoff. I'm author of The Vegan Revolution with Zombies, Punk Rock Ghost Story, and a couple other books. And <laughs> last, we have, but not least. And I am Langhorn J. Tweed. All right. We're your resident dickheads ready to talk about this book. But before we do, let's talk about the latest PKD news. There isn't much of it. As he's still dead. Mostly. Mostly. Uh, but there was one interesting story that uh, I saw. The Memphis uh, Library, Memphis, Tennessee, found a first edition of Do Androids Dream Electric Sheep that was um, in a box of books that they were about to throw away and went and sold it for $1,250. Wow. That's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, any of you listeners out there that have first editions of Do Androids Dream Electric Sheep, you might be able to get a pretty penny for it. But I thought it was cool because they had a whole story about like how uh, the librarians didn't know anything about the book, didn't know that it was connected to Blade Runner, any of that at first. <laughs> and then when they just happened to, they just decided to, like one of the librarians caught it. Anyways, it was an interesting story. That was the one and only uh, Phil K. Dick news story that I found. So there's no new news on TV or movie front. So I suppose we can move on from that. Yeah. Uh, anything to say about uh, first editions, collections, anything like that? I did see a video the other day about a guy, a guy talking about PKD. He's a, he was called a, I can't remember his exact title. It was like sci-fi comedian or something like that. <laughs> right. But he has a huge collection of, of old 
dead paperbacks. Uh, he has an uh, he has a huge collection of old paperbacks, and uh, and some of them uh, you know are amazing. He has hundreds of paperbacks that with all the crazy covers and all the foreign covers and all that stuff. I want to have a collection like that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I yeah, I wish I had uh, more earlier in first editions, and uh, but Larry is. Uh, you are kind of chipping away at getting some of those weirder, older copies. I think the coolest thing that um, that uh, Glassful of Darkness or Handful of Darkness, the yeah. original Cosmic Puppets, the magazine. Even though we didn't like that book, I thought that was pretty cool <laughs> that you found that. Right. Uh, because there are certain things that we haven't been able to find. We tried to track down, for example, Time Pond for Doctor Future Guy. Yeah, uh, I couldn't even find it in PDF or anything. Yeah, yeah, it's really hard to find Time Pond. So. It's kind of out there, but uh, anyways, uh, there's not a lot of PKD news, but uh, oh, and I did see um, one other thing is that they started uh, taking down and selling the sets of Man in the High Castle, (laughs) so um, it is officially done. They've officially wrapped the show, and they're selling off uh, uh, parts of the set and things, which is probably a really interesting set sale. I would imagine, <laughs> with all the weird uh, anachronistic uh, history and things that were going on with that. Now, are they so they're selling all the props and everything? Yeah, it was just I saw on Reddit yesterday. Uh, somebody posted in one of the PKD groups that they were waiting in line in Vancouver to buy some of the sets. Cool. And uh, so that's a cool thing that's going on. But uh, and that wasn't in my notes. I just thought of that. Sorry, I. Um, I did the notes for this like a week a week or two ago. So, but yeah, that's it for news. So next up, we've got dick like suggestions. Uh, Larry, do you have any dick like suggestions this month? Um, I don't know. Why don't you go and I'll think about it. All right. I'm assuming Anthony that. Uh, do you have a dick like suggestion? Nope. Okay. Well, <laughs> I have two, so I will take up for that position. Uh, one is Golden State by Ben H. Winners, who is a former winner of the PKD Award. Uh, he wrote a book called The Last Policeman that was basically about, uh, a police officer serving in a, or trying to solve a murder in the last couple months before an asteroid comes and wipes out humanity. And that was an interesting book, but this Golden State one is kind of like somewhat, uh, 1984, somewhat equilibrium acolyte by Nick Cutter-ish book called Golden State that takes place in a California where it is illegal to lie. And hmm. there's some, basically there's a cop who's trying to solve a murder and he finds a novel that, you know, and obviously in a, in a world where lying is illegal, you can't uh, be writing novels. So... He finds a novel and finds out that he and his brother are characters in the novel. And it kind of feeds into the mystery. And it was really good. Uh, I thought it, it, he also, Ben Winters also wrote a real controversial book, uh, alternate history book called Underground Airlines, which was about slavery still existing in certain states in the United States. And that was really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah you talked about that one. Yeah. That was a good alternate history. So I really liked Golden State. But the one that I really wanted to do for this month was the song My Enemies Sing by James Reich, who's a friend of the podcast who will be 
on one of our bonus uh, episodes about Barry Maltzberg's Beyond Apollo. And this novel... The Showing song, up on the, uh, the new Patreon page very soon. Yeah, so this novel is takes place on Mars... But it takes place not on, on, it takes place more in the Mars that we see in Martian Time Slip. It takes place in kind of an anachronistic 50s sci-fi version of Mars. And it, so it has a really neat setting because it's definitely paying tribute to that, um, era of science fiction. But there's a character in the song My Enemies Sing who's very clearly a stand-in for PKD. And so we have, uh, a sci-fi writer who does lots of drugs and is kind of uh, involved in this, like, self-transporting to Mars back and forth. There's, it's just, it's wacky as shit. It's really cool. It just came out this year, and so far it's my favorite read of the year. So Saw My Enemies Sing by James Reich, and I definitely highly, highly recommend that as a Dick Light suggestion. Cool. So, you got anything, Larry? Well, uh- I don't know. I'm not, I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh, I think this came out a little bit ago. I, I, but the, there's a documentary on flat earthers on mm-hmm. Netflix. And while it, it's not necessarily PKD in, in specific, it has this elements again of, of own personal realities and how all these people have, have sort of gone off the deep end and started not using facts and kind of similar to Martian time slip where we're talking about, you know, no one, people start to believe that they exist in a different reality than other people. Mm-hmm. And that's what these people do in general. These flat earth people, they basically force themselves to exist in a reality that does not have anything to do with the real world. And it's a very interesting documentary i can't remember the name of it off the top of my head but the uh what they a lot of people have been watching it i I, they they talk about um you you can see a lot of psychological problems in these people you know there's one guy that's absolutely a narcissist and just wants to be to be seen there's a uh you know there's a another egomaniacal person on there and there's you you see these weird sort of uh, psychological quirks that are are really kind of sad. Well, and I've heard that there's like an aspect to it that some of the people seem to just like really be grasping for community. Yeah, that's a yeah. that's a big part of it. They want to be part of something, and while they can't be part of something in reality for some reason, they they cling to this outside belief in order to feel that sense of community. While still, and a lot of them do have believe in God and the firmament and all this really weird stuff, but they don't connect with that community. They still feel like an outsider to the to the religious community. So they they have this paranoid, delusional community that they can be part of. Hmm. Yeah. I. I. Yeah. I'm really. Um, I have. I. I resisted watching this but i know a lot of people have talked about it just because i feel like it'll be really frustrating but then everyone keeps telling me that it's entertaining so but yeah it's i think it's more fascinating than frustrating you just can't you can't take it seriously yeah you can't take these people seriously right right all right well uh since anthony are you sure you don't have any dick like suggestions how many times are you gonna ask me that (laughs) twice so far 
I ask you every month. Well, the Punisher is <laughs> definitely not PKD related. But I did just finish Punisher season two. But yeah. anyway, so no. All right. Well, and I did finish Counterpart season one. That was last month's Dick Like suggestion, and I again still think that's that's one still that stands. Still stands. Everyone should watch. It. I'm going to start season two, and I'm working my way through Man in the High Castle season two. But uh, okay, so this book was originally released in 1964. That book is Martian Time Slip. Yes, <laughs> Martian Time Slip, David. What was happening in 1964? <clears throat> well, it's funny you should ask. The one major thing was that the Civil Rights Act was passed by the the new president, Lyndon Johnson, at the time, mm. uh, which was a big deal. Big Johnson Johnson. Yeah, and really moved the country forward. But it, it just shows – I think it's a sign of how far back we're going to think that – this was a year that that the government really stepped up and said we we, we got to have civil rights and you can't we, you got to integrate and all that stuff. But I think it's a good indication of how long ago we're talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Beatles had all top five singles at the same time, which was the first time that had ever happened. Wow! Yeah, and there was a war declared in a little country called Vietnam. Uh, so the official start of the conflict in Vietnam was that year. So that's, I mean, that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff for 1964, but I think it gives you really good context for what was going on. However, but we do have four books that came out in 64, so so we're, we're going to have to find a lot of facts. Yeah, we're going to have to come back to that. Here's a really interesting thing, though. Technically, though, you should really be thinking about 1962 for this one because this one was written in 1962, and it did see publication ser- it was serialized in a magazine under another title but the manuscript was received to the smla agency on halloween of 1962 less than a month after the agency received we can build it we can build you hmm. so he had two manuscripts back to back there in a month he wrote uh, he wrote it right after We Can Build You, and he went straight from Margentine Slip to Dr. Blood Money. So that's okay. the track that he took there. Now, his title, when he turned it in to the agency, was... Uh, here we go. Good Member Arnie Not of Mars. Yikes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Good member. Once again, we thank the people that retitle his books. Right. <laughs> um, it was originally published as "We All We Mars Men" was the name that it got right. in yeah. the serialized magazine. So that's three titles there: God Member Arnie Not of Mars, All All We Mars Men, and Martian Time Slip. I think we all agree the Martian Time Slip is the best of the three titles. Correct? Yeah. Okay. Although there are some foreign. Um, there are some foreign copies that mm-hmm. go under, I think it's just We Martians or We Mars. Hmm. Uh, it, in translation, that's what it, what it is. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that. This has a, a and by the way, this book has some of the best covers I've seen of all the books so far. Yeah, the covers are great. And I'm sure you're going to put out a bunch of them on the, on the YouTube version of this yes. episode. But the, the serialized version, uh, was published in October or August, October, and December of 1963. Before it was, it was sold to Ballantine before it was even 
serialized. So they already had a plan for it, but they just they were going to take their time. And I guess Valentine was okay with it being serialized because I think it was an overseas magazine. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, it, do you know the what was the name of the magazine? I have it here somewhere. I thought I did. Well, I can't believe it. I don't have it. We'll look that up. But, slacking. Yeah, I know. I'm slacking on my notes, but. It was rejected by Ace, Berkeley, and Pyramid Publishers before he sent it to be serialized and before Ballantyne took it. So it was the fourth publisher that he tried. Now, very famously, Don Wolheim, he had turned down Martian Time Slip because, and I quote, it offended my science fiction sense. There couldn't have been a Mars colony when he put it. It if he'd thrown it ahead a hundred years, I would have liked it. So just the fact that it was set in 1994 was enough for Don Wilhelm. He was just like, I can't do it. So he did ask PKD to set it a hundred years in the future and PKD wouldn't. Well, he's obviously, he was correct in that assessment though. Don Wilhelm was correct. Yeah. 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 There was no way we were going to be in Mars in 1994. No. So we got to give a point here to Don Wilhelm, but PKD was so insistent on this book taking place in 1994 that he passed on Ace. So he did have, I'm sure in the back of his mind, he was thinking he could always go back to Wolheim and and change it if he needed to. Right. But it's funny because, you know, he's taken so many editorial suggestions from Don Wolheim in the past that... It's interesting that this was one that he just chose to stand up for himself on. And as we talked about in the Evan Lampy interview, I think that he got a lot of courage and strength from the success of Man in the High Castle and the Hugo that somebody was going to publish this. He had now published Time Out of Joint and Man in the High Castle without Don Wolheim. He didn't need Don Wolheim. And this was like him basically saying... You know, well, okay, tough shit. If you you want me to change it, and well, I think, uh, yeah, after all the changes he had to go through with, you know, previous books, especially Eye in the Sky and Doctor Futurity, Doctor Futurity, yeah. So I think I think that really says a lot about where we're heading with PKD. That uh, I think it also sent a message to Don Wolheim, like, hey, like you know, if you want to work with work with me you're going to have to meet me halfway and that I'm not just going to bend over the barrel for you every time. Right. You know, so I think that was a, that was a good thing. And so even though I don't even know, he happened to be, he happened to be right. Wrong. Well, PKD happened to be wrong in this instance, but he at least be, he stood up for himself. He stood up for himself. And even though he was wrong about Mars, I think uh, for the long run of his career, I think it was good that he stood up to Don Wilhelm. Which is just really funny, you know. But uh, so the book, it did okay with Ballantyne, but it basically had fallen out of print. And then they had a very influential editor named Mark Hurst, who wrote a letter to PKD in 1974. And they had a correspondence that lasted basically up until uh, PKD died. And in 1974, Hearst wrote to Judy Lynn Del Rey to ask Ballantyne, where Del Rey was an editor, to reissue mm-hmm. Martian Time Slip. And this was done in 1976 with a new dedication. And I believe that's the edition that you read, Larry. Oh, yeah? Is the 1976. Yeah, I know it's a Del, the Del Rey. Yeah. And so that one uh, happened basically because my, Mark Hearst 
was like, this book is banging. I want it back. I want it back huh. in print. But it de- it definitely had fallen out of print before right. that. So whether you have exactly the 1976 edition or a little bit later of one, uh, it is a it is basically because of this this letter and the the support that Mark Hurst got. Right. So, yeah. I don't I don't even remember where I got that copy. Of, I think I got it up in San Francisco somewhere. Mm-hmm. I remember this copy from when I was a kid because I because. Uh, I read anything I, – I would basically read anything that Del Rey put out when I was young because <laughs> right. I, I was a, a – They had a lot of good stuff. Right. Well, I was an Asimov kid in the beginning and, you know, a lot of the Del Rey stuff from from Asimov, it just – you know, that was a publisher I trusted. So, yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing that cover for sure. Anything, Anthony? Nope. <laughs> okay, so well, I mean, what, what what would you like me to pitch in, Larry? No, no, no. Well, on the on the book, I saw you were looking at it. No, no, I'm just going through the notes. Oh, okay. All right. So you, didn't find, keep... you didn't find the publishing date. I didn't look for it. Nope. And oh, in this edition. Oh, in that edition, yeah. 1964. So it just said 64 yeah. for the original. Okay, which means that I guess they still own the copyright from that. Huh. So. But this is definitely not the 64 copy because we've no, seen sure. the cover. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so let's get into a little bit about the writing of this. The key source for his inspiration, of course, was he wanted to talk about schizophrenia. and he, Really? He only mentioned it once or twice. <laughs> or about a hundred times in this book, though? Really? I mean, he kind of confuses schizophrenia and autism. And, oh, oh boy. I don't think he confuses <laughs> them. I think he just thinks that they're the, the same. same. <laughs> right. I think I think he's using them as a, a way to say uh, autism is just a form of schizophrenia. Or yeah. Schizophrenia is a form of autism. Right. Which we uh, rather like the 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 representations of mental illness in this book a little lazy. Yeah. A little lazy. Yeah. Well, he was inspired by there was a Swiss analyst named Ludwig Bin Wagner whose study of schizophrenia, the case of Ellen West, uh, allegedly terrified Phil. I'm pretty sure it's Ludwig Binswagner, but it's okay. cool. Uh, terrified Phil when he read it in the early 60s, and Phil used the term, uh, uh, the term to, uh, tomb world, a schizophrenic entrapment in several of his sci-fi works. So, you know, this... So, so for anybody that's confused, the term tomb world means schizophrenic self entrapment. Right. Okay. I, David just like blew over that. <laughs> okay. So w- what we got here too is that we know that he had uh, a musician friend named Vince Lusby and Phil and Cleo used to babysit him and he was autistic. So he had an influence where he was spending time around a kid who was autistic. And of course, there was a lot less known about it at the time. Yeah, uh, about autism. Now, now, just not, not that we're super clear on it nowadays, but <laughs> well, we're more clear than we were in 1964 for yeah. sure. Uh, and speaking at personally, um, I work at a school for kids with autism. I've worked in the field with kids with autism for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So you would think that maybe some of the autism stuff, which is really kind of baloney in here <laughs> and doesn't make any sense would ruin the book for me and it- well the book posits this idea that all forms of mental illness are just autism 
because it's depression, it's schizophrenia. Yeah, it's right. it's 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 like it. Dick uses it as like an umbrella term. I feel like for all these other things, it's 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 rather lazy, but it is 1964. Right. I'm sure somebody's gonna bitch at me in the comments. No, but it, like, like stop making it PC. When, when, it, when it comes to autism and, and all those things, we were not really too familiar what the differences were back then. No, and no. and and. Uh, you know, my stuff. So I found, uh, let me just say this right now. Um, I found out from Marty that, uh, really when it comes to schizophrenia, we didn't start subdividing it and, and anything like that and, and reclassifying everything until the eighties. Sure. But I mean, it's an interesting window into how we viewed mental illness at the time. Right. Absolutely. We yeah. use, all, use these terms as just blanket terms for anything. For it, literally anything. Yeah. And, and if you figure in that, all the things we know about autism now, we're definitely more sensitive to to what these kids or, or adults with autism are going through. Right, and the but types of autism. and The different types of autism, but at the time, we just didn't really know. And I, I do think that this child, who's obviously the influence for Manfred in the book, was probably something that really inspired uh, Phil to think about this story. And I can definitely say, well, and look, it may have taken me out of it because there were definitely, I spend a lot of time with kids with autism and I don't think that they're slipping in and out of time. Um, <laughs> however, we don't know a lot about what's going on in their brains yeah. at any given moment. So, you know, if you really would get down to it, like you can't necessarily rule it out because a lot of these kids aren't able to communicate what they're thinking or feeling and because autism is a spectrum and there are kids that are more severely autistic than others but uh there was a book recently called the reason i jump and i'm not i can't i don't remember the name of the author who's a, a boy with autism well he's an adult now but he was a boy when he wrote it he was a young boy who wrote he was a nonverbal japanese autistic kid and he wrote a book basically talking about the reasons why he has certain behaviors and things. And it's really fascinating look into um, uh, autism. And it was translated by David Mitchell, who wrote Cloud Atlas. Mm. And he has a son with autism, and, and his wife is Japanese. So he had a really unique perspective. And that book became a bestseller because people in the autism community really got behind and supported that book. Did you ever uh, read the one about the... What is it called? The boy and the dog at midnight. The or curious what? case. Of the, the curious case. Of yeah, lost dog. Yeah, I did read that. I read the. I read a little bit of it, but it wasn't my copy, so yeah. I haven't. I haven't got my hands on a copy since then. It, uh, it seemed like an interesting take on it. Yeah, I'm having a hard time remembering the name of the author. It was really interesting, and I. I think that it worked for people who spend time around autism. So, which mm -hmm. is to say, something. This book will not. Um, no, <laughs> this will not look like the autism that you that you know if you're somebody who spends a lot of time around right. people with autism. But I can tell you this that I do know from my stepmother has worked in this field since around the time that Dick wrote this book, and she has told me that there was a time where autism, where she was in classrooms where autism wasn't even a word that they knew. You know, yeah. that they that they were seen as working with kids that were that had mental mental illness issues now with applied behavior analysis and all the things you that... know they called it mental retardation david well yeah they did <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh 
Yeah, that doesn't mean I want to use the word. <laughs> but uh, anyways, I do think that that's a lot of what was going on here. Now, Dick was very hit or miss with his feelings on this book when he wrote about it later. Uh, he, hmm. did, he did write in a letter once, I enjoyed writing all of them, but I think if I could only choose a few as an example to survive World War III, I would choose Martian Time Slip. And, um, with High Castle and Times, okay, and so he, he was fond of it, but then there were other times that he would, he would agree with Anthony and say that it was boring. <laughs> and, you know, so it's interesting because he had very mixed views on it. Uh, I found this other quote with High Castle and Martian Time Slip, I thought I had bridged the gap between the experimental mainstream novel and science fiction. Suddenly, I'd found a way to do everything I wanted to do as a writer. I had in mind a whole series of books, a vision of a new kind of science fiction, science fiction progressing from those two novels. When Time Slip was rejected by Putnam and every other hardcore publisher we sent it to. So, you know, he really thought that this was a bridge, and he thought it was a mainstream science fiction novel like Man in the High Castle, which... <laughs> It, no, it, no, no. <laughs> this is a science fiction novel, and it's not really um, mainstream, right? But he really was trying to do something new and something different. Of course, he didn't necessarily always feel that it succeeded because uh, I have this other quote where he says, "My vision collapsed. I was crushed. I had made a miscalculation somewhere, and I didn't know where." The evaluation I had made of myself of the marketplace went poof. I reverted to a more primitive concept of my writing. The books that might have followed Time Slip were gone. Hmm. So, I obviously he doesn't feel like that combination of mainstream and science fiction was what he was going for with Dr. Blood Money or any of the things that came. So there's this whole idea of this style of science fiction that he was working towards that he kind of lost grip of and it's interesting to think about where that might have gone right you know something more like time out of joint and, but you know all these times when people you know we had this discussion with evan lampy when on, on our interview episode but he you know when when we talk about man the high castle as being more mainstream but there's still nazis on mars and yeah. uh, you know and, and so i i I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like this one is not as mainstream as some of the other ones that are even as well, much. Yeah, certainly not. It's not like Man in the High Castle at all. No. And, it, I mean, it takes place on Mars and there's canals on Mars and Martian people and all kinds of stuff that makes it pulpy. Yeah. Well, I think the thing with Man in the High Castle is that they mention there being Nazis on Mars, but they don't go full bore into there being showing us Nazis on Mars. It's just background. They talk about the rocket ships and stuff like that. And you can kind of you can look at it in the same way of as you know us putting the Mars rover on Mars, like you know it's just that type of idea. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yep. and, and I, the Mars being colonized by Nazis in that world is not necessarily a pulpy stretch to me, but, you know, when we'll talk about it when we talk about the book, but we're hanging out on Mars with our bleak men, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But in 1976, he wrote a letter to his mother, and in this letter, he was not as complimentary of Martian Time Slip, and I think... 
I don't know. It just really changes. It's so different from what he said earlier. But Anthony, would you like to read that quote? Yeah, as soon as my phone stops fucking up. Hold on, everybody. Just yeah, everybody. I'm sorry, Anthony. You keep your fucking bees out of my. <laughs> I got it right here. I got it. Um, in the hospital, I had the occasion to reread my '64 novel, Martian Time Slip. I found it weak dramatically, weak in plot, but extraordinary in its ideas. I stripped the universe down to its basic structure. I guess I always do that when I write. Analyze the universe to see what it's made over. <clears throat> what it's made over. That seems like a weird yeah. turn of phrase. Yeah, I think he means what it's made of. The floor, <laughs> Joyce, Joyce, yeah, of the universe. All right, of this, the universe are visible in my novels. This was exactly how it was transcribed from the letter. Sorry. No, it's fine. So yeah, I'm gonna give it three floor Joyce later. <laughs> but it's, it, so it's interesting because he definitely had mixed feelings on this novel, just like like us, you know. And there's time. I think he really liked the ideas that were going on, but maybe just not so much the story in retrospect. But he was really trying to explore new things and new ideas. So we also have this letter that he had traded with uh, an Australian editor. Okay, just look. It's it's Joyce, guys. <laughs> said that's uh, you know, that's the boards that go across the floor that you build a floor on. Well, Anthony never built. I know, I know. Goddamn just, thing in his life. <laughs> I think I just think it's funny. Even in David's notes, there's a a spelling note there. Is this correct spelling? Yeah, you're shocked. That's funny. Hammer? What's a hammer? Oh, I, I think floor joist is a little different than hey, here's a screwdriver. But I mean, look, I'm not a handyman. <laughs> I'm sorry to everyone out there that thought I was going to build them a rocket ship to colonize Mars, but I'm not a handyman. I'm right. glad you liked. Are we ready to do this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you liked All We Marsmen, also called, oof, oof, woof, PKD, (laughs) also called Martian Time Slip. Remember the part near the end when the man is reading the newspaper and the gubble gubble, Jesus, in the the gubble gubble words appear. It is entropy at work, decay of the meaningful form, into the meaningless, entropic formlessness. It's like PKD slam poetry. Yeah. <laughs> this force intruding itself is objectively real. This is not the hallucination. And much of what in my books are regarded as hallucinations are actually aspects of the entropy-laden Koinos world breaking through into the little warm living room with the dog sleeping before the fire, the wife sewing, the husband reading, the newspaper, which begins to say gubble-gubble all at once. Kant's space-time, etc. structuring mechanism of the psyche has begun to fail. That's interesting. Why don't we talk more about pkd's weird gnostic fantasies anyway (laughs) oh we will (laughs) oh we will when we get through to this book so and then you know and the last quote that i have is more specifically about schizophrenia and you know so we've talked a little bit about this but he is definitely trying to use this as, as David, a David, I'm sorry. Real quick. I got to stop you. Can we talk about All We Marsmen for a second? Sure. Why can't PKD come up with good titles? Well, that's not... I don't even know if that one was his. Yeah, we don't oh. even know if that was his. His was uh, Arnie, good member of... of oh, oh, his was just worse. Was worse. <laughs> yeah, his was worse. And <sighs> definitely, he, he definitely had some problems with titles. And, and I think sometimes that, uh, you know... All We Marsmen... Sounds like a fucking druid hangout on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I think sometimes authors sometimes don't 
always have the best ideas for, like, whatever was going on in their head. I mean, I struggle with titles all the time. Right. And uh, it happens. But I think sometimes he would have de- – and I think he's certainly allowing the editors to tell him, no, dude, this title isn't going to work uh, for sure. So uh, he must have known that it was a weakness. And in, in, in Yeah, his, maybe he just didn't bother like, with coming up with titles because – he knew someone else would come up with a better title anyway. Yeah. I know specifically in, in my case with doing a lot of my books through Racerhead Press is that, like, for example, Rose is really insistent on the title from the very beginning. And there were times where I just knew I wasn't going to bring an idea, pitch an idea until I, I had a title. Uh, Punk Rock Ghost Story, for example, for a long time was the tour in my head, which is a terrible title. <laughs> but... Uh, and I just didn't even and bother to bring it up until I thought of a title that I knew was more marketable than Punk right. Rock Ghost Story. And so I think you're right. You could be right, Larry. It, it could be a situation of where he was just confident that someone was going to give him a title <laughs> at some point and, you know, hope that 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 was, you know, a situation that would work out. Yeah. And uh, but, yeah, We All Mars Men is, is, is a terrible title. Uh, but it's certainly better. I would take that over oh, oh, we Mars. The, the the first one. But, hey, we ended up with Martian Time Slip, which is a great title. Which is title. a great title. Yeah. And whoever, you know, we don't know in, the, in, in any of the notes, any of the research I found, we don't know who it was that suggested Martian Time Slip. Huh. Or if PKD eventually came to that on his own. So he may have. Well, it's a solid title compared to... Oh, whatever that other one was. Yeah, uh, get, got good member Arnie, not of Mars or whatever it was. Um, yeah, that was a terrible title, no doubt. <laughs> but uh, the last quote was about schizophrenia. It says, "In fact, schizophrenia could be considered evidence for my system. It is an instance of malfunction of that system, and with my system in mind, it can be readily understood in Martian time slip." I saw it as a breakdown of proper time functioning for absolute reality to reveal itself. Our categories of space-time experiences, our basic matrix through which we encounter the universe, must break down and then utterly collapse. I dealt with this breakdown of Martian time slip in terms of time. So that's his whole theory of that schizophrenia or autism could be just a misunderstanding of time. Right. To somebody who's outside, like... Thinking of time as like a river, and here's somebody who's standing on the shore, right? Yeah. And so I think that's at the heart of of the novel. So in a sense that when he was originally titling a good member, Arnie Knott, um, I don't think that that's Mars or We All Marsmen. That that doesn't say anything about the story. All We Marsmen. All, all We Marsmen. That's not actually describing the story, and so I think in one sense, Martian Time Slip as a title is the best title because it hits on the most interesting concept, yeah. which is the... the Time slip. The time slipping and the time slippage and being outside of time, which is the most... You know, the Mars stuff is just the setting. You could have done this story on Earth, and it would have worked. It would have been different. And I would argue that you you definitely lose some things by taking it off Mars, but but the main thing is the time slipping more so than the Martian, right? Stuff. So 
All right, Larry. It's that time. It's that time. I, I feel like we should do like an operatic death metal intro with some sweet keys and <laughs> some, some symphonic horns and shit. And a toy piano. Yeah. So, the story <laughs> breakdown. Story breakdown. Right. That happened. All right. I'm trying a different, I'm trying a different yeah, style, right, different dude, approach. Yeah, we're, we're switching it up here, dude. All right, so this book is titled Martian Time Slip by Philip K. Dick. And the first thing, <laughs> oh, yeah, and <laughs> I remember that stupid first chapter. All right. So, <laughs> so uh, we meet one of our main character's wives, wait, one of our main character's wife and son, his piece of shit wife. And his pretty okay son. We meet his piece of shit neighbors. Uh, then we go next to meet him. And then we meet Arnie Cott, who's a piece of shit. And then we meet uh, Steiner. Uh, specifically Steiner, who's a piece of shit. And then we meet Arnie's ex-wife, who's a piece of shit. Then we meet uh, Dr. Glob, who's a piece of shit. And then we... Uh, <laughs> Then we go to Jack, who's a sad sack, and he goes to a school on Mars. Okay, so first of all, Mars is has been colonized fairly recently, and it's not going well. It's a new frontier. It's the old west, sort of with technology, and it's real. It's really uh, well put forth that it's like, let's say it's like Australia because the the Bleakmen are sort of represented as aboriginals. So it's like, what was it, 18th century Australia, where it was sort of like a, a Wild West, but but not the U.S. Wild West, so we can avoid Wyatt Earp and all that crap. See the proposition with Guy Pierce. Yeah, there you go. Great movie. Great or movie. Quigley Down so Under. Also, the Rover is also a good movie. And The Rover. Yeah. God, there's so many good because Guy Pierce is Western a fucking, fucking gift yes. next to Michael Shannon. <laughs> next to Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon and Guy Pierce are our favorite actors. Those combined. that's my buddy cop movie that I want. <laughs> Michael Shannon and Guy Pierce. We're ready. <laughs> We're the, ready to write Although that I one. don't know who would be the straight man and who would be the loose yeah, cannon because right? I think they're both <laughs> real uptight in that like I don't yeah. know who would be I guess it would be Guy Pierce. You'd have to have Guy Pierce as the loose cannon. Yeah. Yeah, because anyway, he welcome has back to the character. Michael Shannon cast. Yeah, we, and, and just anyone's listening, Anthony and I are ready to write that one. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> All right, yes. Anyway, back so, to your story breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> the so we meet a bunch of assholes. Uh, they're all on Mars. We find out that Jack's dad is coming to town to buy some land, and then Jack goes to the school. We learn that, uh, and the school is kind of cool because all the teachers are automatons or, or automated automated robots that um, that represents either famous people in history or sort of archetypal characters that teach in a very specific way to the children. So that's kind of an exciting exciting bit. Not exciting, but interesting. 
Uh, we find out that Jack believes himself to be a, a, a schizophrenic because he once had a bad day. So he's now convinced that he's schizophrenic <laughs> for some reason and uh, is constantly worried about it. This ill-defined schizophrenia. Uh, then we go and we meet up with Steiner, who's hanging out and goes to see his son at the BG School of Special Children. And once he's out of the school, he's like, you know, I'm a black marketeer. I got a wife. I got five kids. One of them's kind of special. Uh, I'm going to throw myself in front of a truck. <laughs> and so he does. And this basically sparks our story. And the story is that Arnie Cott, who is basically Boss Hog, Jimmy Hoffa, all in the body of Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> That's uh, true. That's true. It, it, yeah, that he, would be good casting. He wants to, uh, he, he has all these schemes for getting rich and getting more rich and, and, and stuff like that. And he comes to this conclusion that he's going to take this kid, this autistic kid, and have him read the future for him. And so he gets some, some folks together. This girl, can't remember, Noreen? Maybe that's her name. And... Jack, our, our somewhat hero-ish guy, and Dr. Glob, the psychiatrist, they all come together and they come up with this plan to make this kid, uh, this autistic kid that doesn't speak, who is Steiner's son, the dead Steiner, he make him speak to them and tell them, tell them about the future, or tell Arnie specifically about the future. This is a bad plan, uh, because it doesn't work. And then... We find out we have this other character who's sort of Arnie's Benson, who is uh, this kind of smart-ass Bleakman Martian. And he he meets the kid and he's like, hey, I can talk to this kid. Everything's cool. So then Arnie says, all right, talk to the kid. And Arnie's getting all paranoid. He hates everyone. He's got all these vendettas. He's really become even worse than he was when he started as just the fat cat of Mars. And so he's paranoid and, and delusional, sort of falling into that that uh, that view of of uh, of either autism or whatever you you know. And then uh, this paranoid schizophrenic stuff, whatever. And so then he finds out he has to go and take the kid on this. Oh no! But the cool part is they have this meeting. At, at Arnie's house, and we find out the kid can think and has these weird thoughts. And the kid sees the night happen four different, I think it's four different times, or three times he sees it happen, all from a different perspective. And then the fourth time it actually happens, which, which is the use of the really word interesting. Yeah. Oh, oh shocking! I will. Well, shock. He's for your drinking game. But purposes. yeah, each time he sees it, he sees it. From a different perspective, and different fucked up shit happens. There's psychosexual shit. There's like bugs eating from the inside of people out. There's just, there's yeah. fucked up shit all over, which is the best part of the book, if you ask me. But, so they they do that night, and then Arnie does his thing, and he's like, takes the kid to this stupid mountain thing that doesn't matter. <laughs> and then he's like, show me a vision, kid. And the kid shows him. 
takes him back in time, and Arnie's like, ah, this is all fucked up. And then he gets shot by an arrow because he's a dick. Because he crossed over into Dr. Futurity. Yeah, <laughs> Dr. Future guy, Dr. White Knight. Uh, so he's he does do that. It's like a, a Christmas carol, and he, he comes out of this vision like, I'm going to be a good person now. And then he had fucked over this other guy who was Steiner's sort of uh, employee who had taken over Steiner's business after he committed suicide. This guy, Otto, who's also banging Jack's wife, but that's not really important. Uh, so the guy's like, well, you fucked me over. I'm going to shoot you in your face. So he shoots Arnie. Arnie dies. Jack and Noreen or whatever her name is sort of split up because they were fucking... And then uh, he goes back to his piece of shit wife, and they, I guess, live a piece of shit life together. The end. Book over. Whoa. All right, so Martian time slip. So let's talk about kind of some of the themes and the story and get into it. I think I liked this book the most of everybody, but one of... <laughs> I can guarantee you did. Yeah, I mean that's always the case, though. That's really not yeah, new. Right. <laughs> that, that is not a new thing on this podcast, even with cosmic puppets. Seriously, yeah. Well, my my annoyance with that book grew over time. Yeah, it's true. Um, <laughs> so the, the themes, the basic themes that we have in this book are the schizophrenia and autism, the time jumps, the world building. It's kind of the racial stereotypes and. Like, these are some of the things that kind of get hit on uh, many times. But let's start with uh, schizophrenia and autism. I think we've talked about it a little bit already, but I think the themes are are really, you know, I think these are some of the most interesting things that, that we have going on here. And I, the first time that, that that is really hit home is on page 29. And that's when we find out about the special camp the um, Ben-Gurion, which yep. is named after the first president of Israel, because it's in New Israel. And the child is called an anomalous child, or the children are called anomalous... School for anomalous children. Anomalous children, which is interesting. And it says, the term referred to any child who's differed from the norm, either physically or psychologically. So... Because yeah. your gonads get wackadoo radiation when you go to Mars. <laughs> right. And so there's a degree that, that it's almost like wackadoo. Um, everything in this is wackadoo. Everything. This is... this is Wackadoo as, psychology, wackadoo is, science. Yeah, it gets fucking wackadoo all over the place here. And I think that's one of the things that makes this book interesting. Not in the sense of it's, yeah. it's not accurate to a lot of things. Whether you're but talking fuck accuracy. I, I mean, honestly, exactly. in this one. Yeah, exactly. I would say fuck accuracy in this, this one, This book would suffer if it was trying to have a hard sci-fi bent to it. Yeah, right. And which, that's always, like, my argument. Which is clearly not. That's my know. argument for a lot of science fiction movies that have come out in the last ten years where we've kind of dipped into this hard sci-fi climate of film with things like Interstellar, which I hated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I, I honestly, Elysium and Chappie, not great movies, but they're fun. But they're interesting. And if yeah. we had tried to make them more plausible and believable, they would have not been nearly as fun or interesting to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like trying to, to to watch RoboCop and then fucking shit on it for not being more realistic. <laughs> more scientifically <laughs> accurate. Right. And so we don't 
really want the. I'm not arguing for or suggesting that the book would be better if it got autism or schizophrenia correct. Not arguing that. Um, I I think it is a good window into what a dude writing in a shack in California in 1962 was thinking about it, you know? <laughs> and, and I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with that window into that. On page 33, there's a scene where we first get the idea that they're working to put the children to sleep, to kill the children, which is like... Yeah, but that's abandoned, pretty much. Yeah, but I think that isn't... I mean, here's what I'm asking. Do you think that this set off the suicide with... Um, with was it Steiner, right? Because no, no, no it's it, more. I his... think it's more like what Glob said that Steiner was always going to kill himself. It was just a matter of time, right? Because he had a, you know, and and I like the way he did it too. It wasn't like those those cry for helps or anything like that. I mean, I'm not saying it's good. Let's not let's not get that confused. But you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, as someone who suffers from depression, I know I could wake up on a beautiful day, say this is a beautiful day, and I should kill myself. It just sort of happens. And I think that's sort of a I, realistic it, yeah, I can get behind thing this. That, that this guy was like, yeah, I know, things aren't too bad. You know, there's some stuff going on, but I got my business. I got all the things. But fuck it. I can't be me anymore. I just have to go. Right. You know, that's very that's very true to life. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, in, in some sense, is, a, is an aspect that those of us who really don't struggle with depression don't understand. And I think some people might be like, when they're reading this. It seems so far, so out of the blue. Like, why the hell would this guy do this, yeah. you know, in this moment? And so I do think that that is a good character moment. And I know you guys have both said that you think that that's really where the novel kicks off. And I wouldn't disagree yeah. that, that that should have been kind of the opening to the book and you could have done all the things that happened in the first 60 pages well uh, definitely should have been condensed you know condensed but, and and kind of spread throughout yeah um, the, the the book fucking starts with the suicide yeah yeah that, that is kind of one of the catalyst moments of it and and i think but i do think that that the idea that you know his ineffectualness does have something to do with the, the fact that you know we're having this conversation about uh, killing these children and and I think it also sets up a dichotomy or a parallel in the story when you have some people that are like these kids are useless we got to get rid of them right. they're just attacks on society and then here's this other dude that's well like, no they're they're bad publicity that's yeah. the main thing is that they're bad publicity right and then you have this other guy who's like I'm gonna be rich right um, I'm gonna find out what's going on in the FDR mountains because this kid is gonna slip through time and tell me what all is going on so I think that sets up an interesting parallel and is one of the really cool aspects of this novel mm. but, yeah but I mean as far as autism you know like I spend a lot of time with kids with autism and like I said I, I don't see any serious time jumps or <laughs> Anything like that, but... No, I think he's using that as a plot device, obviously. But... Right. And he does specifically... But it, think... is, it is a good pathway to explore sort of the, the the interior, you know, reality that he wants to explore, that personal reality. Mm-hmm. And he was watching, he was interacting with a kid with autism at the time. So he had some kind of basis for this. 
Although, I mean, it does for word for word on page 61 say, um, call autism a childhood, a childhood form of schizophrenia, which it, which is, it not. is not. <laughs> but here he says also schizophrenia is a major illness, which touched sooner or later almost every family. So, well, see, now this is in that time period where schizophrenia was the catch all for any mental illness. Right, and I think it shows it shows an interesting view that PKD himself had on mental illness because we know that later in his life that he would have himself inst- well, he, institutionalized. And, and I is think, it isn't pr- prior to him writing this? Didn't he have his vision outside the shack? Yeah, he was seeing his crazy, weird, like godhead, godhead thing supposedly when he wrote uh, Game Players of Titans. So, yeah. uh, so he was definitely. So this is having visions or I, I feel like this book is, is itself sort of a personal uh, struggle of his through that seeing that vision, whatever it might have been, you know, sure. And trying to explain it in a, in his own way. And, and in that sense, I think it makes Martian time slip somewhat more of a personal novel than some of the other ones. Yeah. And that may be why he was thinking of it as more mainstream than it was. If he thought, Hey, every family in America is dealing with yeah. this. <laughs> so, uh, it should be something that everybody can relate to. And I know on page 124, he says something about how people talk about mental illness as an escape. He shuddered. It was no escape. It was harrowing. Uh, uh, contract, uh, contracting of life into, at last, a moldering, dank tomb, a place where nothing else came or went, a place of total death. Yeah, uh, I recently watched, um, uh, what's this, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Stephen Fry's special on manic depression, mm-hmm. uh, he, which he did, I think it was nine, ten years ago, maybe even longer. But he, he interviewed all these people that were manic depressive, uh, or bipolar, they call it now bipolar and they would tell these terrible stories of stuff they did when they were manic and and you hearing these stories you'd be like oh my god that's that's disgusting but they also accomplish great things and Mm -hmm. this guy had broken his legs and like done all this nasty stuff to himself while he was manic but he he insisted that he wouldn't change a thing because he needed that high to live but the like Stephen Fry himself, who has so many accomplishments, you know, people would look at that and say, "Oh, I wish I was manic so I could, you know, have that freedom to accomplish that that much stuff and work that hard and do all those things." But that's not how it is. It's torture. Mm-hmm. All these mental illnesses are torture. Yeah, you don't it's, want any of them. It's no, no <laughs> one. I know, and I think that that's a weird way to romanticize mental illness and yeah. in more in creative types of people, though. Like right. from a from a more like social perspective, because I can be honest and just like Larry shared that this year has been incredibly rough for me, yeah. and it's not easy when your brain works against you at every hour of every day, telling you all these negative things that you believe are true or that you're depressed or that you hear voices. It's not anything anyone's ever asked for, right? You know. <laughs> And it sucks. Well, yeah. and I think that's one of the most. I, I think he did a good job. I think PKD did a good job in that, in that quote. Yeah. You know, summing that up. I agree. Yeah. And I think that is one of the, 
underrated aspects of Martian Time Slip. I've read a lot of the commentary about Martian Time Slip, and at no point did I see anyone talk about this, you know, way that he was looking at depression. And I, I do think it's one of the stronger parts of the book. Yeah. But uh, he also talks about schizophrenia kind of being a private language at one point. And I thought that was really interesting. And he he says, uh, maybe this boy thinks of this as his world. And that kind of goes back to the themes that we talk about in many PKD books. And we're seeing it here first, where he's kind of working with the idea that Manfred in his time slip, where he's seeing these older visions of himself, mm -hmm. is, you know, we know because we're watching him from the outside that he's having a time slippage or a vision, but to him, it is his reality. It yeah. is his world. He's living it. Right. And so then, in the sense of more so than really in any other book that we've done to date, that we're really seeing an uh, one of the first real attempts at, you know, Martian time slip, there is a breakdown of what is reality in this book. Hardcore, you know? Yep. Because when he starts time slipping, who's to say... His reality isn't more real than ours because you and you and, you know, all three of us here sitting here today, you know, we're interfacing with this podcast, but and this is our reality. But if we're seeing it differently, you know, who's to say whose vision of it is real, you know? Right. So that's the last thing I really had to say about the schizophrenia. Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about, about the, the visions of or the way that he talks about mental illness. No, I think I've said my piece. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think that this is, um, to me, this is my favorite aspect of this book, even though it, I mean, we'll talk about it in different ways with the time slippage, but I think that even though it's inaccurate, I really do like what he's doing with the ideas of schizophrenia and mental illness in, in here. And I do think it's one of the stronger aspects of, of Martian. Tension. Well, I do think, I do think a good comparison to say that the nineties, uh, I guess, or the two thousands to the way they viewed schizophrenia was the way we viewed ADHD in children uh, is that any aberrant behavior to them in the, in the sixties and seventies became schizophrenia or, autism or whatever yeah you know and that's any aberrant behavior in a child in that time period you know 10 years ago 20 years ago became add or adhd and they had to be on drugs for it you know it was that same sort of lack of understanding of what what the disease was and oh, that sure. uh, it's just to relate it to modern times i guess right and i think yeah it, we there's certainly been throughout fiction in that era there was certainly inaccurate ways to look at at these issues but if you think about science fiction at the time and the recent the year the, that this story kind of came out we had uh, you know Clifford Samack and yeah and Kurt Vonnegut being nominated for Hugo's but they're not talking specifically about mental illness you know this is years before a beautiful mind right <laughs> and so it's really kind of cool that pkd at this time in this era was was writing about these issues in science fiction i think is neat right accurate and, or inaccurate as it may be exactly so uh next i want to kind of talk about the time jumps 
very specifically how those worked and what they did for the story. We did a little bit already, but on page 91 of, and I'm working off the sci-fi masterworks edition, I should say, which is the British edition of a Martian time slip, but I think it's fairly close to the Mariners. On page 91 of my edition, uh, Arnie says, you told me on the phone you got a theory about the schizophrenic being out being out of phase in time. Yes, it's a derangement in the interior time sense, Dr. Gloob. Uh, glob or whatever it is. I went with Glob. Glob. Oh, yeah, Glob. It's a, that's a great PKD name. Right. <laughs> but then on the next page it says, could the schizophrenic be running so fast compared to us in time that he's... That He's actually in what to us is the future. Would that account for his precognition? Wait, he's, it's schizophrenic, he says there? Yeah. See, the, the, so. See that has nothing to do with <laughs> schizophrenia. So that, but, so let's take aside for a minute that that's wackadoo psychology or whatever. And it just would be the way that, that Dick mixes the two illnesses together is so, to right. me, that's a little bit frustrating. You know? Yeah. Uh, Pick a lane. Pick a lane, <laughs> right. And so we have these characters. I think this is the first time in the book where it really like lays out the concept of of the time slippage that they could be seeing time differently. Right. So that's a big one. And then on one thirteen to one fifteen of my edition, there's a lot of really good stuff between. I believe it's chapter eight and nine. Uh, a big time land speculator came from Earth today. He. We made a union guy at the Rocket Tournament, 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 oh my god. Holy fuck, David. <laughs> I know, that's I, terrible. Terminal. I, I think Anthony should read that quote. I think Anthony should read most of the time. <laughs> yeah, you're more than welcome to. Um, no, no, it's cool, man. I did this in college. Uh... <laughs> Alright, go All for right, it. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. Anyways... <laughs> Uh, the big time land speculator came over from Earth today. We had a union guy at the rocket terminal, and he recognized him. So, this is, like, okay, this guy shows up, and then this is kind of the window to, this is, he wants to use this guy to speculate, to, to, and these time slips for this reason. And he kind of sees that, like, oh, this is my big opportunity. I can use the time slips to see in the future and do all and do all these things. Are you here for the first time in your life on the surface of another planet and you think you'd want to walk around and take a look at the canals and the ditches? And, and we have this whole concept that here's this land prospector and we're going to use the time slips to be able to buy into the future. And I think there's some really neat things there with... The world building, and we didn't really talk about this in the, before because I know this is an aspect of the book that you guys didn't like, but I did, which is early in the book. There is a lot of really... No, no, no. I, I didn't say I didn't like it. I, okay. It's just boring. Okay. Because there's so much of it. Yeah. And we, we did spend, I think... And no be- story. I think before PKD really knew what story he wanted to tell, he was doing a lot of world building because I think in the beginning he just wanted to set a story on Mars and he just wanted to... I think he wanted to talk about the frontier and the Bleakman and the... the I took it the other way. I I felt like he started this story at, like, page 110. Oh, really? And then went back. And added the world building? Yeah. 
Huh. But, uh, you know, either way, I don't think we can know which. We can't know which which one he did first. Right. Right. And. But all that, you know, uh, the world building, the world he built is good. The characters he built are the characters he built. But the, you know, it, it just drags because there is no, there is no story there. There's no story for 70, 80 pages. Right. Well, and I I can see where that where you could feel that way. I personally I enjoyed a lot of that stuff. But we'll get back to some of the world building in a bit. But some important stuff on the time jumps. It almost seems to me okay, and this is from page one thirty nine. It almost seems to me that Manfred does more than know the future. In some ways he controls it. He can make it come out to the worst possible way because that's what seems natural to him. That's what he. That's how he sees reality. It's as if being around him were sinking into his reality. It's starting to seep over us and replace our own way of viewing things. And the kind of events we're accustomed to don't come out, or or come about how somehow don't. Oh wait, I'm sorry. I just totally lost it here. <laughs> we're accustomed to see. We're accustomed to see come about now somehow don't come about. So this whole quote on page 139 of my edition is what's really important about it is that he's talking about this person is slipping into another reality and because they have this depression and this mental illness, they're seeing things in a negative way. And because they're in proximity with this person that they're starting to kind of catch those things. And I think he's... yeah. Playing, this is time slips, but it's also playing with the idea of mental illness and and the problems that that can create for people. So I think that's really interesting. I think that's a really interesting part. Mm-hmm. Sure. And uh, let's see. I have one other part about the time slips. The, the fundamental disturbance in the time sense, which Dr. Glue believed was the basis of schizophrenia, was now harassing him. <laughs> I thought that was a really great line. It indicated that his psyche had taken an abrupt leap ahead in time. And, you know, I just, I really like the idea that it's, that the time jumps were starting to harass the people around him. Right. And, I mean, that's, that's pure PKD right there. Yeah. The, you know, the, everyone's reality sort of battling with other people's reality to establish dominance, mm-hmm. you know, and the kids, the kid's odd sense of time and and uh, the world, his reality is just so strange that it that it sort of starts to influence all the other people around him. All right, so let's get more back into the into the world building. So the very first sentence of the book is to me a really great example of world building from the depths of the Fena. Barbital. Fina Barbital. Fima Barbital slumber. Fino Barbital. Uh, Sylvia Bohlin. Bolin. 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 What the fuck is wrong with you today? <laughs> Listen, the editing I've been doing has been really stressing me out. So, uh, I've been working on the final edits of the book that I've been doing, and, and my brain is definitely fried, fried from that. All right. So. Larry and the Wayback Machine, you can <laughs> cut that out and we'll try again. From the depths of the phenobarbital slumber, Sylvia Bo- Bolin heard something that called sharp. It broke the layers into which 
she had sunk, damaging her perfect state of non-self. In the very beginning, they're using drugs on Mars to just kind of deal with the fact that Mars sucks. Well, I mean, is. that's a common theme, too, throughout other dick books. Yeah. And... God, that woman's a piece of shit, though. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's... Like, the, the suicide part, after after Steiner commits suicide, she's like, well, good, I'm glad he's dead. God, I hope it's not my fault. Fuck that guy. Right. She's definitely not uh, one of the nicer characters of the book or, or portrayed well. But I do like that this idea that right off the bat, we're... we're it, this is not... You're, this is not as mafia in science fiction, you know, where yeah, right. have people doing drugs <laughs> to deal with the fact that they're living on Mars and that it's kind of a fucked up place. Um, I do like that you have the canals, uh, which are out of date. <laughs> uh, we do, there are canal beds on Mars that, but they've been dry for millions of years. Yeah. <laughs> and so I guess you could have the idea that they're kind of terraforming the planet by filling the canals with water. And water is really important. Um, the union boss, who becomes a very important character in the story, is such and has the power because he controls the water there. That's all, to me, good world building. I like the idea that... Yeah, the fact that he, he can waste water on hot baths. <laughs> right. Well, and the repair shops are really important because the the you know you're just not going to be sending goods back and forth all the time. So I like that Bolin becomes a really important character just because he works in this repair shop. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of neat thing. And all the land speculation stuff is is pretty cool too, and how it relates to and how it gets meets the plot. But we have lots of really interesting stuff with the world building, so it all works for me. I think this is good world building. I can see why you guys definitely felt like there was too much of it. Uh, it's not. On. It's not even. It might not even be that there's too much of it. It's that there's nothing happening in between it. Right. You know, it's just, here's a character, here's here's a little bit of the situation as it exists, not as the story progresses. Just, here's what's happening to these people on Mars without mm-hmm. any any real story in there. Yeah. Well, and, and that scene where he's talking about wasting the water, there's that really... Let's see if those rich Jews up in New Israel have a steam bath that wastes water. Yeah, that Arnie Cod is a piece of shit. He really well. is. He is yeah. as racist and awful as it gets. <laughs> and um, so, you and know. Which, so, and as the best lack of awareness I've seen in a character in a long time. Yeah. You know, he is just so, so into himself that he just has no idea that he is a cunt. Yeah, he has no idea what a fucking jerk face he is. Right. I mean, your int- the introduction to him is just him being shitty, being like, we're not going to help them. Yeah. They're black. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. <laughs> I got more in my mind than melons. <laughs> Jesus. We, we had one of those UN boys visiting us the other day, protesting our regulations concerning the N-word. <laughs> or maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe I should talk talk like the UN boys and say indigenous population remnants or just bleakmen. Nope, he'd just rather use the N-word. And Arnie Knott is definitely, yeah, he is a jerk. He is, yeah, I mean, there's no way to read most of his lines of dialogue and not be like, ooh, right. oof, this guy. And, you know, and for, on top of it, he just, he wouldn't even 
didn't even want to like take his helicopter down to give water right to the bleakman when they were like crossing the desert and yeah so yeah he's a big jerk um just wow wow david i know hot take (laughs) hot take i went with cunt he went with big jerk so (laughs) cunt works uh definitely for our british listeners yeah um or australian or australia yeah so yeah, he, he he is absolutely the worst. But let's talk about the Bleakman. We haven't really talked about them yet. We talked about them a little bit. They're definitely kind of a there. Sta- yeah, they're <laughs> the indigenous population, and well, there's the the whole fact that this sort of breaks down the uh, at least the Western god is never you know is not made into a thing. Basically, saying that there's is we came from a common ancestor on two different planets sort of blows the Bible away. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of a neat little moment. Good catch Larry. And, uh, well, yeah. And the idea that, cause they definitely, he definitely mentions on page 21 that they came, that they've been crossing Mars for thousands of years. Hmm. Right. Um, I like the idea that the bleakmen that they are kind of slower and that they don't not, dumb not mentally slower no that they a slower society they they're they perceive time differently Mm. and that makes for an interesting parallel with our schizophrenic characters in the way that they're written here so i I definitely think that's a cool thing about the bleakman i thought the bleakman were a really interesting addition to the book and i could see why somebody who might say like that they're not that important they need to be taken out they, no, they they serve a function. They in serve there. a real serious function, toward, especially towards the end when you have like their religious sites and their, you know, where and they definitely have like. And a, hell, I think Helio is the only character I liked in the whole book. Oh, totally. Yeah, he's definitely yeah. <laughs> he did really remind me of Benson. I know this is ten years before Benson was on soap or anything, but <laughs> but he really reminded me of Benson, just making these snide comments <laughs> while he's doing right. his work. Um, yeah, and I did notice on page 71 that there's a mention that they, that the... Shout out to Robert Guillaume. Yeah. Benson was, uh, he started on soap, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I think you mentioned that. So he does, he does mention on page 71 that somebody says, what is, what is a bleakman? It is a, it is one of the indigenous races of Mars. You do know you're on Mars, don't you? So there might be more races... Besides the bleakman, but they're right. not really seen. Yeah, not that we know of. Yeah, not that we know of. And um, he does such a he basically does space rats and space rabbits, and instead of instead of like giving the animals of of the place a name, it's just hey, that's a space cat, but he calls okay. them Mars. That's a Mars cat, <laughs> right? Which is not too far off saying like. Space sex and, yeah. <laughs> you know, like they're having space sex or whatever. So to more to the point of what you were talking about with blowing away the idea and the concept of God, um, that happens on page 82. Yeah. And the exact quote is, he wasn't taking it. And this is, uh, I think, Otto or is it? I think it's Cot actually, or not, excuse me. He wasn't taken in by those anthropologists saying that the bleak men were from the same stock as Homo sapiens. Yeah. That probably both planets were colonized a million years ago by one interplanetary race. 
Those toads, human, sleep with one of those. Christ, better to chop it oh, off. No, that's first. that's that's Otto. Yeah, that's yeah. Otto. Yeah, that's better Otto. to chop it off first. I, I actually liked I liked Otto's take in that part where he's like, oh, "I'm so horny. I'm really fucking horny, and I just can't sleep with another Bleakman chick. I can't do it." And then he cries about it. It was pretty cool. <laughs> um. Yeah. So all the yeah the Bleakman are pretty and you know i think is this the first time we've had anthropomorphic aliens of any kind in in pkd aliens yeah Yeah, so far i think besides vugs which were basically slugs we got the Mm, because any of the anthropomorphic stuff has been due to radiation so it's humans with Mm -hmm. uh defects yeah and i'm speaking specifically about world jones made yeah right but I think this is the first time we've had like real like space aliens, yeah. space aliens, yeah. Even though they're just from Mars and we're related to them, but you know, or the theory is that we are. And uh, but then they have these religious sites up in the mountains, and I like that they the Bleakman refer to the the human ships that are coming as monster ships. Yeah, that was kind of neat. And, uh, but they knew they, they, because of this religious side that they have where they receive these visions, they knew that the humans were coming. So, you know, those, those are all, I think, interesting, cool themes. And that's one of the reasons why, personally, I like Martian Time Slip. But, uh, right. I think this is. Well, this... I, I certainly remember why I didn't like reading it the first time. Like, cause, mm-hmm. again, like I said, I was reading Flow My Tears. I was reading. You know all the all the big books, and then, like you said, this is considered one of the big books. And I don't again, I don't know how I I got my hands on this copy, but I was like, wow, this this has very little. I, I mean, some of the themes are in there, but those first eighty pages when I was in my mid twenties or late twenties when I read it, I was like, fuck this, this is so boring. I mean, I had it. That it was even boring now, and I'm, I'm a thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This fucking book needs to start like way, way. <laughs> or throw some. I personally that the once the kid starts having visions, we see what the kid sees. That to me was really great. I really would rather if so. If we uh, don't start, start the book sooner. with the suicide. Start all the hallucinations earlier yeah. regarding when he's trying to fix the the teacher the robotic teachers right and he starts hallucinating that the guy he's talking to is just this pile of like why wi- artificial wires and stuff yeah. that's that well, i don't know why we don't start all this so much sooner right mm-hmm. exactly why is it the story not in there sooner yeah well how, can well, you the answer real that reason is probably can you answer be- that david no i'll answer it okay. because it was the 1960s and most books did start slow i feel like with a yeah. lot of expository detail that's yeah. true and my 2019 brain doesn't want to deal with it right <laughs> yeah um why'd you ask my question we're gonna be here like fucking two hours yeah that's true <laughs> two more hours two more hours <laughs> i gotta do this but what uh, I, I am curious what do you think why do I think that? Why do you think there's eighty, like seventy, so much... eighty pages of, of pure exposition? Well, my theory, I already kind of stated my theory on that. Is I think I think PKD started off with wanting to write a Mars book, and I think the schizophrenia and the autism thing just kind of in the time slip stuff, I think came later, and I think it's evidenced by the title that I think he was originally just wanting to write a story about this kind of ophi, like. Um, 
Right. Well, boss. Like Arnie, uh, um, Archie Bunker on Mars. Union. Yeah, okay. Union battle thing. And I think I think the time slip stuff, I think, kind of occurred to him while he was writing it and then took over. Uh, I can't prove that. There's nothing. Yeah. I've, I've looked for evidence on that, but my theory is, is that, that that's how that happened. Uh, and I think he was writing, trying to write, like, I think one of the reasons why he didn't want to move it forward in time is that I think originally in, in PKD's brain, he was writing like, you know, like a really cool, like mainstream prediction of like right. what Mars society <laughs> could be like in 1994. Yeah. You know, I think in his brain, that's what he started to me, off with. To me, it was jarring to find out that Leo was born in 1922. Cause right. I, you know, I didn't even, I I knew it was 94 at the beginning, but then didn't think about it while I was reading the book. <laughs> right. And then you find out that, you know, Jack's dad was born in 1922, and it's like, holy shit. <laughs> and he's on Mars. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, no, that, that's all I got to say on that. No no two hours here. We're just, <laughs> David want to get home, too. But, uh, I, yeah, I, I think that's what happened, personally. I think that's why. And you do see, I mean, science fiction in that era does have a little bit more exposition. I think a lot of like, literature from that era has a lot more yeah. exposition. I think it was a different time. I think people wanted to kind of spend more time with the language versus the story. Um, sure. And I think people had a little bit more patience for waiting for a story to build up. I got fuck all for that kind of patience now. <laughs> right. Well, which is why I think I struggled so much with 200 pages of, uh, <laughs> never mind. No, wrong see, podcast. Like, like I said, like I like I said, if you're if you mix it, I'm fine with it. If there's the story moving along, on Starship Troopers again. <laughs> if, the, if the story's moving along, then I'm fine with it. But if your story is just stagnant, and I'm just finding out about how the government works or some shit, I'm totally I totally lose interest. So, Larry, you, you should not read. The Foundation books right. by Isaac Asimov. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I, I've actually tried to read the Foundation books. Yeah, just, yeah. And here's the thing: is that I have some of those books in my past, and I've read them, and I've enjoyed them for different reasons. But so I think that I'm kind of more calibrated to be less annoyed by that. Yeah, I guess. And I'm certainly trying to read a lot more old school retro sci-fi this year, so I better get used to it and. You know, and I think we'll see it again sometimes. But here's the thing. To me, PKD was doing so many cool and interesting things in this book that if I have to suffer through some not great exposition early on in the book in order to get the really cool ideas that we're only going to get from PKD, you know, that, hey, that's worth it. You know, and I, I, well, I, I think that 80 pages, I think that, that you can have a slow start, but it is in how you write it. And if, if there are interesting yeah. characters in the stories moving a little bit slow, I, I think that that's, that's totally fine. We read that, we read David Peaks's Corpse Paint earlier this, this, or last year. Was that last year? Or was that this year? It was last year. Um, and that's a bit of a slow start, but the characters are interesting. The settings are interesting. Interesting. What the fuck, fucking Fuck me, guys. The first 60 to 80 pages of this book are not interesting. The characters are fucking shitty, and the setting is just Mars. 
Right. I don't give a fuck. Dirt. It's just dirt. (laughs) It's dirt in a school in some fucking space trucks. Fucking, I can't. I can't. And this is a thing that comes up with PKD a lot in this is maybe I just don't like dick as much as everyone else. That's not true. Maybe I just don't like PKD as much as you guys, or maybe I don't have the patience for it, but sometimes Dick writes this kind of boring, like, corporate businessman speak, which just gets so dull to me in mm. the actions with these characters. I It's, it, it's very much like, I, I think he has the same pool of archetypes he, he pulls from, too, where it's like, I'm a family yeah. man, I'm the businessman, I'm the annoying wife. Yeah. And it, I just sometimes, I don't give a shit. <laughs> Go well, get well, get hit by the fucking train, and then I'm interested in this book. Yeah. Well, well there's the, or you uh, know what? Maybe we make one of the Bleakman a main character in the beginning, and we can kind of get that other perspective of these invaders on Mars, because that's yeah. what humans are in this respect. And then I can kind of see the dichotomy play out between the colonizers in the Bleak we were already there. Or so, Manfred's a main character. Or Manfred's a main character. You know? Absolutely. Exactly. And but but I think a lot of times we see Dick play it safe with characters that are just your average family thrown into schmoes. these Yeah, the average schmoes. And that's fine, because sometimes I can relate to them, but they are so boring sometimes that I just can't care. Yeah. Fuck. Okay, so uh, uh, Anthony and I were talking about this outside a little bit. I, I brought it up that I, I'm i not sure if this is genius or a failure on Dick's part, but he's he, talking about all these psychoses in this book, and none of the characters in this book relate to each other on any kind of <laughs> human level. Every relationship in this is very surface, very business-like, very... Um, separate you know there's no there's no tenderness between parents and children there's no tenderness between you know uh lovers there's no tenderness between anything it's just all very very stark and business like almost like exactly how he's talking about it, the, there sorry larry go ahead uh, how he's talking about you know the 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 different uh, I think uh it was psychoses i think it was intentional because We've, I mean, not that he writes like the most emotional relationships. He's not Stephen to begin King. with, yeah, yeah. But, but I do think he tries in other books. You but know? if you, yeah, but we're not the, talking about other but books. If you, if you we're look talking at, about this one, if you look I'm at talking the about end. whether no, but if we're talking about whether it was intentional or not, I think that you can look to other books to see like has he done because if all of his books are cold that way, yeah, then I would then say it was unintentional. But if it, but if the other books have relationships where that have more tenderness or feeling or emotions, then then I think then you can look to this one and say that it was intentional. Yeah, but the but, uh, just look at the, the the very end when they're talking about staying together, Jack and uh, Sylvia or whatever her name. They're talking about staying together. There is nothing resembling love there, right? In, in what no, they're talking I see what about. You're saying. Yeah, you know, even when when Leo and, and Jack are talking outside, and they're you know Leo's trying to figure out what's going on with Jack, there's no love in that in that relationship. He says, "I care about you," but he doesn't. It doesn't. doesn't there's no feeling show in that. Care. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's something I hadn't caught that, but that's another good catch. But 
I, I think you're onto something there. And I, and, and for me, the, the beginning wasn't that boring and it could be because I, now look, I read this, uh, I start, I read most of this on a flight back from Indiana. So when you're sitting on a plane and you're kind of, more, it passes by much faster. It passes by much faster. And I read all, I read all of that in one sitting and it just kind of went by. But the other thing you have to know is the book that I read just before this was James Reich's The Song My Enemies Sing, which mm-hmm. in a lot of ways is a conversation with this science fictional Mars that you see in the Martian Chronicles and Martian Time Slip okay. and all that. And that may have made it more interesting to me in that moment to kind of view how Dick was writing about Mars because James in his new book is is trying to have a conversation with 50s, 60s Mars in science fiction. Because James, and he has said this to me, or he said this to me, I, I don't know if it was on the podcast or off air, but when we were talking about this, his book, he said he really missed the fictional Mars, the John Carter of Mars, right. the Martian Chronicles, the, this Mars that we now know better. I mean, the Mars that we know in reality is so... There's so much radiation you couldn't possibly live on the surface of yeah. Mars. If you were really doing a Mars colony, you'd have to live underground because there's no magnetic field taking up the radiation from space. So you would just be fucking melting like all, <laughs> all the time. So the the real Mars is totally you think this is boring? A book set on the real Mars? With, with which they've done, right? Which they've done with the Martian and and Red Mars. Mm-hmm. But you know, I mean, Red Mars takes is two hundred pages of figuring out how to make water on Mars. You know, like yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it, it, if you think this is boring, you know, and I personally, I and that's the thing is, I can read Red Mars and be fine. So for me, this was this was okay, and partially it's because I read it on a plane and and whatever. I didn't find it boring in the beginning, but. I will agree with you that the story really starts with the suicide and that that is something I agree with sure. that that would have been a better place to start but I was okay with the first 60 pages and 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 overall you know I liked it so why don't we uh finish this bad boy off with some reviews I'm going to give this personally I'm going to give it 4 out of 5 autistic time slippers because, like actual slippers? No, like people's oh. four autistic boys <laughs> slipping through time or girls, it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> um but I think or four bleakmen out of 5. Um Fucking pick one. Let's go with bleakmen. Let's go with right. four bleakmen out of 5. Um this book to me is not perfect and it certainly has some problems, but I I really like the themes and the ideas and where we're going and and so I I approve overall. Okay, Larry. Uh, I, I, you know we we talked about what it what it is and what it isn't. I I found uh, some of the writing really good. Uh, all the writing is fine, but some of it was really good, especially the the descriptions that coming from out of Manfred's head. I yeah. I really enjoyed awesome. those. The horror elements were really well well laid out and. Uh, you know, it's kind of an interesting 50 page story that is 220 pages long. And so that was kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think there is a solid 50 pages here, not not 220. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm, let's see, what do I want to give it? I'm going to give it uh, two and a half angry janitors <laughs> out of five. Two and a half repairmen. No, angry janitors, the okay. teacher. Oh, yeah, yeah. Could have gone with Mr. Yee's repairman. <laughs> Mr. Yee. I don't want to cut Mr. Yee in half. I like him. He he was also kind of a dick, but he was a he was an honest dick. And he was like, I can't sell that guy off <laughs> for, for less la- than yeah, this right. amount. <laughs> yeah. Anthony? Uh I agree with Larry. There's like fifty pages here that are really good and another like two hundred that are just I don't need it. I don't want it. I don't care. <laughs> There's a lot of cool stuff here going on with like the fact that he repairs these these robots that teach their kids. There's what's going on with the autistic camp. There's how Dick looks at depression. I thought, and I thought it's a missed opportunity to kind of show us how we have to integrate and work with people who are already living there and not having a bleakman be a main character is a huge missed opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I just is, I like all the crazy hallucinations and I like the time slipping stuff because Dick, when Dick does weird, he does do it really well and, and, and I enjoy it. But I just, the characters fell so flat for me. The book takes forever to get going and I'm going to give it two rocks that you would pee on for good luck <laughs> out of five. Right. Well, I, I don't remember, remember what, what they're called. called. So <laughs> rocks. That, that was kind of odd that they never used that, huh? Hmm. He's, I guess he, no, he, it never got used. It got mentioned. Right. But it never got used. Well, we do have one segment left. And that's, how would we do this as a movie? Would you do this as a movie, Larry? <laughs> would I do it as a movie? I actually thought about that when I was, uh, when I was reading it. And I think this could be a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do too. You, and- did, you just have to say, um, I'm doing fifties six or I'm doing sixties Mars. Yeah. 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 You have to, you definitely have to tighten it up and, and there's, there's work to be done with the flow of the story and having it make a little, a little more visual sense. Mm-hmm. But I think you could do a lot of, a lot of things here that would make it visually interesting. You well, know? in 1985, the BBC hired Bri- the, famous science fiction writer Brian Aldiss to write a script for a five-part television miniseries based on Martian time slip. And apparently somewhere Aldiss, the script, all the Aldiss script is floating around in the ether Hmm. and uh, it never got made, but that was interesting that they were going to do a five-part series. I don't think it needed to be that long. I think you could do an hour and a half. Yeah. Right. Um, you definitely want this to be an hour and a half. No. Yeah. I definitely think you'd cut down on a few of the characters. I think adding more PO, I think Anthony's right. Adding more POV to Manfred and mm-hmm. the Bleakman characters would be. Yeah. Tying kind of, them into the story a little more and tying them more, and giving them more value. I would start off on the suicide. If we're, Doing doing a film of this, and right? But I, you still have to have Arnie caught in the tub. Yeah, you know, you have to have a lot of those elements that come before that, but but thrown in later. And, and yeah, I hadn't thought about Boss Hog, but that was a really good <laughs> good analogy. Um, yeah, and I and I think I think the main thing is to do kind of a retro like look to Mars, mm-hmm. make it look like I would I would want to make this movie look like I made it in the early sixties. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, you'd still do, like, modern sci-fi effects, but, like, just yeah. with the look. 
uh, of the fifties. And then I a think throwback sort of, I, I think like a, a look like the, uh, like the prisoner, mm-hmm. the TV show, you know, that show. Yeah. I, well, I think that, that sort of not, not necessarily all the bright colors and everything, but that sort of feel of, of weird outsidedness and, and, right. uh, and when they do the, uh, if you've seen the old West episode is sort of what I'm thinking mm-hmm. where there's, it's the old West and a courtroom and all these things. And it's, it's got that, what you, exactly what you're talking about, that retro feel. Right. And then I would personally, uh, I think you could fix a lot of that. You wouldn't be super faithful to the novel in that sense and try to, I don't know. I think there's a few things you could fix, but uh, a few, <laughs> a few. Anthony, any thoughts on making this into a film? Um, I think I would probably go full bore like '80s nostalgia for this movie, mm. and uh, kind of like if I were making an '80s retro movie now, I would want it to look more like Total Recall. This I would rather be directed by Paul Verhoeven than Total Recall. <laughs> um, but that wouldn't be my choice for director, right? Um. I, I, I think I would start with the suicide and kind of the, and explore the effects that that suicide has on all these other people while kind of backgrounding a yeah, lot make, of the make kind that of, your introduction a lot, yeah, and, and background some of the politics just to make it more the, the backdrop rather than kind of one of the driving forces of the story and probably focus more on the mental illnesses and how that, that dead one death affects the, like everybody in this colony. And I'm making a bleak minute character. I don't care. I, 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 and I'm going to surprise you guys with this one, I think. I would, de- I thought about this when I was reading it, like I said, mm-hmm. and I thought Quentin Tarantino. Oh, wait, was I supposed to get my director? No, no, no. Oh, well, we well, just started. Yeah. <laughs> but that, I, 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 I was thinking, I have actors in mind. I, I, I was thinking Quentin Tarantino for putting this together and doing, you know, updating the dialogue and everything. I think he would make an amazing movie out of this. My choice was actually my original choice was going to be an hour and a half long Quentin Tarantino movie. Good luck. My 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 original choice for this was actually David Cronenberg because I think as we've seen with some of his later movies he can do weird surreal decently, yeah. but there's opportunities here for kind of body horror stuff in in Mars, but oh, I yeah, actually there definitely I is. actually wouldn't mind a young John Carpenter for Martian Time Slip. Right. Oh, that would also be good. Yeah, I, I like the the, my other choice was uh uh David your your guy that you like the shotgun stories and Oh, Jeff Nichols. Jeff Nichols. Oh yeah, Jeff he'd be Nichols good. good. Yeah, he'd be good too. Um I yeah. I think uh I didn't think much about director, but I like the Cronenberg idea. Um even modern Cronenberg, but I really like the idea of <laughs> um Arnie not being played by Vince Vaughn for some reason. <laughs> uh Yeah, that I mean, the thing about Arnie Knott is that everybody likes him. It's stated in the novel several times mm-hmm. that he's not a prick. Everybody likes him, even though he is a prick. You know? He is definitely And that is certainly Vince Vaughn. Yeah. Uh, when he's at his best. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's it, it for Martian Time Slip. Anthony, what are we doing next? Next time on the Dickheads Podcast. Bum, bum, bum. The ultimate nuclear war has taken place. First and second strike with with just enough advance warning to send Americans scurrying underground to safety. Now, 
Thousands of people are living in crowded warrens where they labor to meet the production quotas on the big machines that carry out the battle on the burnt-out landscape that was the United States. Mm. For 15 years, they haven't seen the sun. Only films of the nuclear devastation and inspiring speeches sent down by a president who never seems to age. There's something strange going on. Because he's probably a robot. Or a pre-god. There's something strange going on up there. <laughs> Beautiful physician Carol Ty knows it. Tortured writer Joseph Adams has always known it. And now a man named... Stop, wait, my brain turned off for a second, sorry. And now a man named Nick St. James, who only knows things that can't go on this way, is going to risk death on the surface to discover the penultimate truth. Nice. Penultimate truth. Yeah. It's kind, of, right. it's kind of odd what the... Uh, this is an odd title, don't you think? Penultimate truth. I like it. No, we, you don't I want mean, to know like the ultimate more, truth. I like it more than <laughs> the just, ultimate nuclear war. You just want to know the the truth next to the ultimate truth. Yeah, the truth before the real truth. <laughs> the truth, truth. The pre-truth. The pre-truth. The pre-truth. <laughs> well, this will not be the next episode of Dickheads, but it will be the next book we're reading. We will be back with a story versus film, and we'll be doing, I believe, Paycheck next. Ooh, um, Paycheck. Starring Ben Affleck, directed by... Affleck! John Woo. So, we'll see you back with Paycheck. Uh, stay paranoid, folks. Good night. Keep it paranoid. Gobble, gobble. <laughs>